Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. We welcome those that are listening, those faithful listeners, and and any that have tuned in today. We are just in the middle of uh, the uh, uh, well, the middle, the end of the lesson series on the heaven and the earth of Scripture, and this is June the seventh, two thousand twenty. And it's a warm summer day in Arizona, as you might imagine. This is the final lesson. We've had two lessons uh, on this text of Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. That's the, the pivotal words. Uh, more about that later. But the, this final lesson, we're going to turn to Another subject within there that is closely tied, of course, to the idea of heaven and earth passing away. So we do welcome everyone this morning. And I really hope that this look at the uh, phrase or the terminology heaven and earth as it's used in God's word has been helpful in your studies. Um, Maybe open a few doors to see how this figurative language, this uh, even prophetic language of the other um, ideas or the other things that we see, the sun, moon, and stars, constellations, all of these things representing um, men and women, uh, nations and kingdoms, all looking at these these words uh, using words such as heaven, earth, sun, moon, and stars, and constellations. Um, this is how the Bible is written. This is how God has presented it to us. And this method of study is useful in all of our Bible studies. We call it um, literary approach instead of literal approach. I hate to let go of that literal handle, but I have to because the literal idea, of course, is far superior as far as understanding the Bible, and hopefully that is our goal. We spent two weeks, which I think is a short time, on the uh, things that we've covered. There's more that could be done. I encourage you to, to uh, look it up. Go to your, uh, uh, your, your strongs and places such as that and find the other passages of heaven and earth or combination of and uh, sun, moon, and stars, look those up and read them. Make a study of it for yourself. 
and uh, it'll just add to what we've already done. So, there is another consideration in this passage of Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. By the way, uh, this week I was just thinking about Matthew chapter 5. You know, Matthew chapter 5, it really is a, it's the beginning, if you will, of the public ministry of Jesus, of these, everything he says is so incredibly important for the Jewish people there listening to him. He's already gathered uh, the men for the apostleship, there other things have happened, but here now he has a huge audience for the things that are said in chapter 5. We know about the Beatitudes. Um, and, and then, of course, he's turning to the apostles and speaking to them. So let's read 17 and 18 again just to make sure we're fresh on it. Jesus speaking to the apostles, Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass away from the law, till all things be accomplished. There's lots of subject matter in verse 18. So in verse 17, Jesus and all that he did was to fulfill the law and prophets. You see, his, his um, vocal opponents in Israel at that time, uh, this, was their, this was their attitude. He's, he has no respect for the law of Moses. He's trying to turn us upside down. Uh, and, and these were the charges. Of course, they were false. They killed, they killed Stephen for the same thing. Exactly. And they, the martyrs, especially the Jewish martyrs, all, mostly died for this, this false charge. Uh, because you had to remove the hard-heartedness to see clear the, the Messiah and the way, as we know it, that is the way of Christ, the way of salvation, the way was in fulfillment of the prophets. And of course, eventually, uh, the law had no place within the way. So, this fulfillment, that is the penalty for sin, which was accomplished on the cross. You see, the sin issue had to be dealt with. Uh, because it was in limbo at this time. This is what all the sacrifice of animals were through the, the centuries, was to, was to atone for sin, atone for the, for the attitude of the people, rolling it ahead until, until a sacrifice could be made that would restore mankind back to God, give them a way to come into his kingdom, and it, that was accomplished through the blood of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. That was the issue of the cross. Also, there's the idea of the prophecies concerning the Messiah. I forget how many prophecies, I think over 200 prophecies were fulfilled up to the cross. But friends, it doesn't stop there. That's what, unfortunately, that's what Christendom promotes is every, all that stops at the cross. No, it continues on. Because all you have to do is find all the prophecies of the Old Testament to know that they were not all fulfilled at the cross. Let's look at, um, uh, so to, to, we're going to look at uh, 1 John 3, 8. But, Fulfilling many prophecies Jesus did, but he was not done fulfilling prophecy at his crucifixion or his ascension even. As we read in 1 John 3, 8, 
concerning the Lord, he who is doing the sin of the devil, he is talking about the, uh, the Antichrist here. Because from the beginning, the devil doth sin. For this was the Son of God manifest. In other words, this is what the Messiah came for and clearly came for, that he may break up the works of the devil, or Satan, some of your Bibles say. Break up the works. Is that what Jesus did? It seems in Christendom that Satan's on a rampage, that it's got worse and worse. But how about, when are the breaking up of the works? Well, you see, this is all part of the same problem that we have. And then that's in verse 17. Now in verse 18, it says, Until the earth, the heaven and the earth pass away, and we know that is referring to, because of all the context of other places, it referring to Judah and Jerusalem, right? That's the first two lessons we had. The law remains in place until all may come to pass. Isn't that what that verse says? But you see, we live in the world of Christendom has the law passing away, typically at the crucifixion, or um, other times that they've selected for reasons of their own. So the law remains in place until all may come to pass. You see, all things need to be accomplished. Isn't that what the verse says? Prophecy fulfilled concerning the seed of Abraham, which is the Messiah, and those that will be, that will be his. The promise made to him, to Abraham. And the new covenant in Christ's blood. Finalizing all of this into the kingdom of God. Because, you see, all things must be under the realm of God come to a conclusion, all that has went before. All of this was brought to a culmination in A.D. 70. That's the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of all that was the Jewish nation. Unfortunately, this event is not uh, given much uh, time in most of our seminaries or, or Bible schools or church settings, and for, but it should have been. Now, we don't have a date of A.D. 70 in our Bible, uh, but that's no reason to ignore everything that's written in there, especially through the epistles. Uh, and in Revelation, of course, location being Jerusalem, and the complete and total uh, fall of all that was Jewish, as Jesus predicted in Matthew 23, to come upon the generation listening to his words at that time. This is where we run into lots of problems uh, when we start when we're reading the Bible, when we're trying to put together a, uh, a timeline, if you will, or just understanding the things that are being spoken of. Now, what are the results of everything that Jesus said in verse 17 and 18? The results are the fulfillment of Jesus' words, both in these two verses and in what he said in Matthew 24, verse 34 and 35. What did Jesus say to the apostles here? He's talking about this, this period of time, which is known as the end of the age. All right? He said, Verily I say to you, this generation may not pass away till all these may come to pass. And everything he has said before verse 34 in Matthew 24, which is a whole lot including the destruction of Jerusalem and all that we've been speaking about. 
Verse 35, the heaven and the earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. How many times did Jesus say that? Many times. His words remain after the heaven and earth pass away, after Judah and Jerusalem have been replaced and are gone. Verse 36, And concerning that day and the hour no one hath known, not even the messengers of heaven, except my Father only. Not only the Son knew the day to give them a date, but we wouldn't understand that date anyway because they use the calendar and a date system that uh, takes you two weeks to find uh, the uh, material from the uh, Maccabees to find out what that date might be. So the Bible doesn't use dates. God relies on us to have enough uh, sense. Since he, uh, since he created our bodies and our brains, he knows that we can do this, and he requires that we do. That's the results, friends, of this passage. But there's something within this passage that I want to talk about today. Um, in other words, I think we have a question before us that's not often asked in our assemblies, although it has been asked to me before in a, in a lesson that I was doing uh, concerning uh, Matthew 24, Luke 13, and uh, Luke tw- or Ma- Ma- Mark 13 and Luke 21, I was asked this question, but it's not often asked because everyone seems to know the answer. So why ask the question? But you see, what I was teaching kind of brought an idea that maybe their concept of of the law coming to an end was misplaced, timing-wise. So the question is, when did the law of Moses pass away? I really, I really struggled with that question uh, for many years, trying to come to a good answer, a Bible answer, something I could stand on. And then one day I read a passage out of Acts where the Apostle Paul came to Jerusalem and the other apostles and, and the people of the church told him to go to the temple uh, and and make uh, pay the uh, pay the uh, tax to go there for the other men with him and bring an offering and obey the law and he said yes and I was to say the least a little confused you see because if the apostle would then go back I thought he was saying that there was no more law well I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, the church, the early church had been formed. Yes. Already. And Paul was still paying homage at the temple. The church had been born, uh, of course, but really that all started at the birth of Messiah. If you, How far do you want to go back? Yeah. You want to take it all the way back to the promise of the Messiah? You can. That's Genesis chapter 3. This is a question that needs to be fixed in our minds in a way that we can say and give the right answer to help those struggling with this. Um, The most common answer, of course, about the law of Moses passing away is at at the cross. In other words, we will use the phrase uh, from um, uh, Galatians about the law being nailed to the cross. Um, which is a, a, a bit of a misnomer um, because of everything else that's said. We have to take all of Scripture, not just one passage and run off on our own somewhere on a mountaintop with it. The, the next one that is usually suggested, uh, especially by the folks from the Restoration Movement, is the Day of Pentecost. You see, we'll, we'll leave the crucifixion or the cross to the Baptist. We're, we're moving on to the Pentecost. The trouble with that is that was before Paul, the soul was converted. 
so we know yeah. that's not true. Now, these events happened, of course, and that was A.D. 31. That's when Peter preached the first gospel message to the Jews. So, you know, that timing seems real good. I used to accept these ideas, of course, for many years. But I really wasn't look closely, I wasn't looking closely enough at the teaching of the apostles, which is always our uh, task and many times our shortcoming. Now concerning this law that we're speaking of, the law of Moses, the royal law as it's called and things like that, let's look at Romans 4, starting with verse 13 through 16. And hear what the Apostle Paul tells the, Rome, the church in Rome concerning this. Now, the, the, the teaching here in, in Romans, of course, is equating the Jewish Christians to the Gentile Christians and how they fit together and, and how things should be, you know, so that's the idea here. But he says, for not through the law is the promise to Abraham, did you get that? It's not the law. That's not the promise to Abraham. Or to his seed of his being heir of the world, but through the righteousness of faith. You see, the new covenant is the covenant we come into through faith. The Jews lived in their covenant uh, under the promise made to Abraham that they would become sons and daughters of God in the kingdom of God. And the, the law was added unto that covenant for a tutor to show them how they should live. Verse 14, For if they who are of law, that is the Jews, are heirs, the faith that hath been made void, and the promise hath been made useless. I hope you grasp that verse because that's the idea. Uh, it wasn't the law that made them heirs. It was the promise. And, the, and if, the, if, it's the, if the law is what makes righteous men and women, then the idea of faith and the promise made to Abraham are of no use. So he goes on. For the law doth work wrath. For where law is not, neither is transgression. I hope you don't never forget that, that passage. Because of this, it is of faith that it may uh, be according to grace. For the promise being sure to all the seed not to that which is of the law only, but also to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham was the father of the Jews through faith and to the Gentiles through faith. That's apart from the law, friends. So, I think we know about the law, we understand the law, but there is a confusion about how was the law dealt with during that, that buffer period um, from uh, uh, 31 AD when the gospel was first preached until the end of the age for the Jews. Friends and brethren, this is the problem I see. The world of Christendom has many conflicting beliefs. Have you ever had anyone tell you that the Bible's full of, of uh, contradictions. contradictions is the word, yeah. yeah. Conflicting things, miss, you know, time periods, and uh, Solomon had too many horses in one place, and things like this. You see, uh, this is what we hear. And because of that, the most erudite of those who criticize Christianity 
point out these inconsistencies. Why wouldn't they? I think they have a perfect right to do so. Now, those inconsistencies are there because of the work of men and women, not, not because of God or the Lord or, or the Scriptures. So if, if we're going to defend it, let's not just pray to God that he'll take away all this doubt. Because we've been writing these misconceptions and preaching them for too many years. My, my problem is that these erudite people, learned people that would embrace the concept of salvation if it didn't look like it does to them. They will never be converted with such promise, such problems that we find here in denominational teaching. And it's not just denominational teaching. It's also the independent churches that feel they have all the truth. They have it in their hand, but it doesn't come forth from their mouth. As long as we're going to continue saying, teaching and preaching that we can read one, uh, people read one thing out of the Bible and it means something to them and the next Bible teacher, it means something else to them. And that's okay. That's not okay. That means that probably neither one of them understand what's being said. It never goes any further than that, though. It's just all will agree to disagree. No. On important things such as life and death and the eternity of our families and friends, this is not a time to agree to disagree. This can't continue. Or it shouldn't. I, I should say it should not continue. Because I'm trying to finalize it with the word cannot. I wish I could make that happen. And I'd be able to correct all of my little problems too. But, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul, I think, does a good work, although all the apostolic writings point to the truth here. But the Apostle Paul makes clear the covenant, the covenant that is that the Father had made with, the, with, the, with Abraham and the Jewish people, uh, the Hebrews as they were called, because Abraham came from across the Euphrates. That's what Hebrew means. And they were Hebrews, and then they were Jewish people, the sons of uh, Jacob, the household of Jacob. Is, um, is still active. That covenant is still active during the apostolic ministry of the Lord's apostles. And that time period is from A.D. 31 through A.D. 70 approximately. That's, that's what I'm trying to say here. And the scripture really backs us up on that sort of thinking. You know, all of this to do with the Messiah and, and his coming, his birth, his deeds, his crucifixion, and his resurrection and ascension, all of this is Old Testament Jewish writings. It's part of that first covenant people's life. And the law was, was continued until, as Jesus said, all things must be accomplished. All things. In other words, the last thing that Jesus did within the realm of men had to come to a conclusion before the law was done away. Now, I'm not talking about the providence of God from heaven on the world today or that sort of thing. I'm talking about actions that we're, that we're dealing with here. So, the people of Israel were under law. Clear to the end of the age, their age, where all that was Jewish, all that was, uh, had been given to them was taken away. But they also, during that last 40 years, had access to the kingdom of God 
through Christ. And not only that, there was another issue at hand. The full measure of Gentiles during this time period must be brought in before the end of the Jewish covenant. We're going to read about that in Romans chapter 11. And then we'll go to Jeremiah that is, uh, that's talking about the same thing. Romans 11, 25 through 28. Here again, Paul speaking to the church in Rome. For I do not wish you to be ignorant, brethren. And that's where we're at, friends, with this. Until we understand it, we're ignorant of the issue. Of this secret, that you may not be wise in your own conceits, that hardness in part to Israel hath happened till the fullness of the nations may come in. That's the fullness of the Gentiles in our, uh, in our vernacular. And so all Israel shall be saved according as it hath been written. There shall come forth out of Zion he who is delivering, and he shall turn away impiety from Jacob, and, to, and this to them is the covenant from me, when I may take away their sins. As regards, indeed, the good tidings, that's the gospel, they are enemies on your account. And as regards the choice, beloved, on account of the fathers. You see, they were still under their covenant. So they were beloved of God. Now, when was it, friends, when the phrase, when I may take away their sins, occurred? Did that happen many times? Or did it happen one time? Happened one time. 31 A.D., and from there on, God had opened the, the, the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Remember what Jesus said about his the covenant, we read it many times during our communion. This is my blood shed to, to purchase the, the, for the new covenant, for the forgiveness of sins. That precisely was the reason why the apostles implemented it into the early church. That's right. Precisely the reason. That's right. It's all a remembrance, isn't it? Okay, did we go to Jeremiah 31? Jeremiah 31, which is a prophecy of the things that we're talking about. 31-31. Jeremiah says to the Jews, Lo, days are coming, an affirmation of Jehovah, and I have made with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah a new covenant. Now friends, we know about the old covenant, right? Given. We're talking about a new covenant, so this covenant has to be has to be the covenant purchased with the blood of Christ, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Just so we know where we're at. Verse 32, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day of my laying hold of their hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, in that they made void my covenant. And I ruled over them an affirmation of Jehovah. For this is the covenant that I, that I make with the house of Israel after those days. An affirmation of Jehovah. I have given my law in their inward part. And on their hearts I do write it. And I have been to them for God, and they are for me a people. And then that, that part of verse 33 and verse 34, uh, we find these things written in other places. And they do not teach anymore each his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know ye Jehovah, for they all know me from the least to the greatest, an affirmation of Jehovah. For I pardon their iniquity, and of their sin I make mention no more. Friends, this 
this brings us to the conclusion um, of of the age. As a matter of fact, um, it's it's the same sorts of words that God uses of when He speaks of the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem, and the idea that that He remembers no more the sins, the things of the of the past, the former things are forgotten. That's in Revelation, in that chapter, 21, I believe. You know, when we get the, when we get the time periods down, we can fit the facts into it sometimes, most times. Uh, that was what we, our approach through Daniel, and it has to be our approach through Scripture because just like our lives today, if we're not aware of when things are are going to happen or have happened or something within our own little circle, we're confused about what we should do next. That's where we're at in, in Scripture if we don't settle these things about time frames. Now let's look at thinking of that, about the the conclusion of the time that that the new covenant will be given and God will forgive sins and let, let's look at Matthew 23 I believe I even read this last week part of it now here Jesus is talking to the rulers in Jerusalem Pharisees scribes priests the learned of the law as they said I notice they always say they were learned in the law. Well, how about the rest of Scripture? You see, everything had boiled down to a judicial type of government. Kind of where we're at in America today. It doesn't work, friends. You take the humanity out of, out of the law, and you have bedlam. So, Jesus said to them, so that you testify to yourselves that you are sons of them who did murder the prophets. You see, in the days of the ministry of Jesus and in the Jewish realm at that time, they, wanted, they didn't want to be related to the people who had killed all the prophets, as you can understand. Unfortunately, that was their fathers. So yes, they were the sons of those who did that. That didn't make them guilty of it, except for the fact that they were doing the same thing. Read on. And you, you fill up the measure of your fathers. Now we're coming to Revelation again. When the, when the full measure of sin has come to a conclusion and things become a little different for the Jewish people. Serpents, brood of vipers, how may you escape from the judgment of Gehenna? That's a place of destruction. Because of this, lo, I send, I send, who? Jesus sends to you prophets and wise men and scribes, and of them you will kill and crucify. This isn't in the past, not in the future, no, in the very time that Jesus is talking to them, within those few years to come. And of them you will scourge in your synagogues and will pursue from city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood being poured out on the earth from the blood of Abel, the righteous unto the blood of Zechariah, Zach son of uh, Bacharias, whom you slew between the sanctuary and the altar. Verily I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And I'll stop there. We come back to that, this generation. And if we're going to completely, utterly mistranslate the word generation as race, uh, which is a word that doesn't fit here, of course. It's not the Greek word. Generation being exactly what it is in all the rest of the Gospels. 
father to son. Forty years. A period of time around 40 years in that day. You know, if you look in the history books, you'll find that the, the average life, uh, uh, the average age of death for a male in the first century A.D. was 35. I think enough said. <clears throat> so, we have, we have uh, a real culmination, if you will, and that's what the apostles called it the culmination of the age. You see, that age would not come to culmination until what? Until the sins of the Jews had been brought to full measure. Full measure. Not only that, until the full measure of Gentiles, or the nations as they're called, had opportunity to come into the covenant during that time period. Now this isn't my uh, outline. This is this is how God had planned this from the very beginning, dealing with sin, dealing with covenant promises, dealing with bringing man back into His presence in a in a way that was tolerable. Remember, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's no sin there. There's no tears there and all the things that may cause to separate us. The full measure of the sins brings about the judgment of all Israel and the end of the Jewish age. And then the law will also be rolled up with that scroll, with that old covenant, as it says in Hebrews, where the old is being rolled up as an old garment and the new is being presented and the new covenant is better than the old. The law and the prophecies of the Old Testament and the apostles' teaching are fulfilled at the end of the age. Now, I don't expect everyone to simply say amen to that. Because uh, I want you to believe that and know it for a, for a fact from Scripture before you say yes. Because I'm making quite a statement here. But I believe that the, that the church, the visible assembly of Christ in the world today, is not the invisible church of the Roman Catholics. It's not invisible at all. It's becoming more and more invisible, but it needs to become more visible. And we do that by speaking the truth to the world, showing the world the truth of Scripture, showing them that the inconsistencies they see in the writings of men have nothing to do with the writings of God. You know, if we could just accomplish that, do you, you realize how wonderful things could be for people that are really looking and really want to be part of what God has done, the Creator has done for man. Matter of fact, to bring it, I want to speak just a little bit more about that conclusion, uh, that end of the age. Uh, let's go to Acts 17, the Apostle Paul talking about the Messiah and what he does. And then we'll go to Hebrews 8. Matthew, uh, Acts 17, 30 and 31. This is Paul's sermon, of course, uh, on Mars Hill. Um, just a little piece of it. The times, indeed, therefore, of the ignorance God, having overlooked, doth now command all men everywhere to reform or repent. Because he did set a day in which he is about to judge the world in righteousness by, or through, I think better, a man whom he did ordain, having given assurance to all, having raised him out of the dead. I think we kind of know who that, that is. 
Jesus is the judge. Just as we read, he is the judge in Revelation 20. Just as we know that when Jesus was judging from his throne in Revelation 20, the 12 thrones for the apostles were right there with him, and they were judging Israel, just as was promised. Hebrews 8, 12 and 13. Hebrews 8, 12 and 13. Because I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawlessness, I will remember no more. In the saying new, he hath made first the, the first old. And what doth become obsolete is old, is nigh disappearing. This was the condition that the apostles lived in that the Jewish people lived in, in A.D. 30, 31 through 70. They were living in a covenant that was disappearing. It was becoming obsolete. Why? Because of the promises through faith in Christ, the way. The way and the only way to come to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say in Matthew 24, 14? Jesus speaking, of course. And the good news of the reign, or the kingdom, shall be proclaimed in all the world for a testimony to all the nations, and then shall the end arrive. The end, the end of what, friends? Does it say the end of the world? No. We know that this end is the end that the apostles were speaking about. When will be the end of the age, the culmination, the Jewish age? That's a powerful verse. It also says the good news will be proclaimed in all the world. Do you believe that? Well, the apostles believed it. They were, the, the, the good news, of Colossians 1, 18 or 120, the apostle Peter wrote in A.D. 62 that the gospel had been preached unto all the world. Now, we can argue that point, but I think I'm going to put my vote with what the Apostle said and with what the Apostle knew. That's how we can put all of this together, friends. In other words, the end of the age can't come until it is proclaimed in all the world. That is the good news. The way. Jesus, Jesus drives, dives right into the prophecy of Daniel in verse 15. How can you, you can't remove the, that end from its context. That's right. And concerning the, the, all, Jewish, the Jewish realm. All these points have clear scripture from Daniel as we have went over many times. Uh, that's why the, the writing of Daniel was so important to the Jewish people for hundreds of years before Messiah came. About 500 years, actually. They had 500 years of the next major world events documented in Scripture. That's right. They did. And this is the final two verses this morning, Matthew 24, 29 through 31. And then I believe I've said all I can today on this subject. Jesus, of course, speaking again, and immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall, give, shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now, friends, if we take this literally, then we got stars crashing into Israel. So understand, of course, these are the powers 
the governments and the powerful men of the world at that time. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth smite the breast, and they shall see the Son of Man coming upon the cloud of the heaven with power and much glory, and he shall send his messengers with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his chosen from the four winds, from the ends of the heavens unto the ends thereof. And following that, he gives a simile to what he has just said. We have, we have no excuse, friends, for not understanding the proper um, time element given in the New Testament. It's there. It's, it's confirmed by the writings in the Old Testament, as Alex said, in Daniel and in Isaiah and other things. Uh, when you have events that happen that only happened at one place at one time, you, it's very simple to, to tie those things together so you know where you're at. And, uh, you know, if we know where we're at within a, a six months to a year's time, as far as the calendar goes, I think we're pretty, pretty good. We don't need to know it any closer than that. But we need to know the things that have been promised, the conclusion of those promises, both the reward and the punishment. We need to know about all the covenants that God gave. And he gave a number of covenants, including the one given to Noah, uh, the one given to Abraham and honored Moses all through. But... Covenants have conclusions, and we need to know where those conclusions fit into the history of time. That's why these verses in Matthew 5, 17 and 18 are so incredibly profound for the church to understand. From it, we should be able to see where we're at, where the world has been and where we are going, and certainly that Jesus and the things he said came to fulfillment. With that, I will say good day to you. May God uh, be blessing you as you are hard about your service to him. And we will conclude today. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for your word, for within it we do find the truth. And as we manifest Father, that knowledge, we pray that we do so in a way that is useful to others every day for as long as we may sojourn. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.